Greetings, beloved, and welcome to another edition of Modern Day Truth Ministries. This is Jordan Thompson. I pray the Lord continues to bless you mightily in all that you do. Today, I want to talk to you about something that is probably bound to make me inherently already more unpopular than I am, make me a lot less friends, and probably lose a few listeners and followers. Uh, But rarely are many biblical, Holy Spirit-led messages met with thunderous applause and amens. Usually, they are met with ouches and groans. I want to talk today about our country, our current political climate, uh, our patriotism, our nationalism are all at an all-time high. Yes, we are in the midst of a global pandemic, but we are also in an election year. For many, there is a lot on the line. This is the time when politicians begin courting church leaders and reaching out to people of faith as they seek to shape and carve out an election night victory, whether it's uh, locally or nationally. Now, these things in and of themselves are not bad. However, there is a point where they do become bad. At the point these things become an idol is the point in which these things become bad. And it is at that point uh, that these things then begin to interfere with our Christian mandate at the point in which souls are being sacrificed for political gain and expediency. We have a problem we are facing, people of God. Today, I want to talk about the inherent danger we face if we continue down the current path we are on, not only as a nation, but those that are within the church. Some of you may ask for an explanation. Why am I saying that politics and patriotism and nationalism have become an idol? And to you, I can offer this answer. One of the signs that an object is functioning as an idol is that fear becomes one of the chief characteristics of life. When we center our lives on an idol, we become dependent on it. If our counterfeit God is threatened in any way, shape, or form, our response is complete and total panic. We do not say simply, geez, this really stinks, or what a shame, or how difficult, but rather we simply say, this is the end. There is no hope. If there is any doubt about this, please check social media, listen to talk radio, or watch cable TV. Whether it's in this pandemic before or after, regardless of what side of the political spectrum you fall on, these words are eerily similar to the ones just mentioned. When our preferred candidate or party loses an election, many of us are going to flee the country or life as we know it, is over. We as Christians forget the biblical unity we have been called to have on the main topics. And this brings me to my next point. Another sign of idolatry in politics 
in this country is that our opponents are no longer simply considered to be mistaken or have a different viewpoint, but have become demonized, evil, and wrong, even within the church. We once again forget the biblical unity we have on many of the topics as they relate to salvation, and we label our brothers and sisters within the body of Christ as evil if they reject our party, our candidates, or our ideas as it relates to government. Those of you who know me, or those of you who have heard me preach, or those of you who follow me on social media, know my stance on the current political climate in this country. America, and especially those within their church, have lost their way. These ideas of patriotism, politics, and nationalism have become cultic and to the point of worship of epic proportions in this country. There is a virus in this country, and it's infecting millions uh, by the day. And this virus is called sin. This virus has given us the current state in which we are in. You see, I will never tell people not to vote, not to be patriotic, or not to show nationalism. However, the problem is that the current climate of patriotism, nationalism, that we are experiencing has led to political extremism even within the body of Christ. I want to say that I believe that there are biblical positions on every issue, but no party fully represents all of God's views consistently on all God's issues. Christians are going to vote differently because they will prioritize issues differently. My concern is that we have aligned ourselves with the parties of this world so much that we are missing the kingdom of God. And the proof of that is that we've let political parties and ideologies divide the kingdom of God over non-biblical issues or over a mix and match, trail mix, pick and choose theology that suits one party or another, but completely disregards the Christian mandate and the truth and sanctity of God's word. Recently, I was asked by a friend of mine, why is it that more evangelicals tend to be identified Why is it that more white evangelicals tend to be identified with the Republican Party and most African-American Christians to the Democrats? And I want to preface this with the fact that I am first and foremost an unaffiliated voter. I have no party. I don't believe that either party suits the interest of the kingdom of God or espouses his principles to the full extent. However, being a Christian and being of mixed race heritage, I think I offer a unique perspective due to the way that I've grown up and the people that I've been around and those that are within my family and people that I have come in contact with. I would say that it's more of an issue of priority for both sides. And what I mean by this is an example, the white evangelical community, as we know, emphasizes the right to life in the womb. This is one of the staples of the Republican and the GOP party and its evangelical base. The black Christian community, due to its roots within the time of slavery and the civil rights movement, uh, more so emphasizes justice to the tomb. For me, those are both one issue 
whole life, not term. Pro-life by biblical standards does not just relate to the womb, but there are many biblical facets that must be applied if we declare that we are pro-life. It is more than just life and death within the womb or to kill or not to kill as it relates to murder suicide and those things, but do we help the sick and the poor? Because that falls in the facet of being pro-life. Since that is one issue with two different locations, Christians can agree on the whole issue, even if they vote differently and come out with a whole life perspective that if we are unified, both parties would have to face and take seriously. Some of the party differences have nothing to do with the principles of the Bible. If we as Christians can both uh, can force both parties to acknowledge our principles before handing them our votes, not settling for what is closer or the quote-unquote lesser of two evils, we, we can accomplish something much greater than we currently are. Because as it stands, both parties can split us up along party lines. We don't have a single voice on the issues that represent the kingdom of God. Back in 2009, the Christian church uh, around the world uh, put out what was called the Manhattan Declaration. And I think in an effort to close the gap, we must gather the leaders of the church together, regardless of ethnic, social, or economic status, and even denomination, we must come together and articulate and formulate the key issues of scripture that we cannot bend on per the scripture as it relates to candidates and laws that we vote for. Something much deeper than the Manhattan Declaration, something specifically to reflect the comprehensive view of the body of Christ, and not only to reflect it in a statement, but a representation of unity in how Christians come together and relate to each other, no longer just going back to our own respective dugouts, quote-unquote, separating after the conclusion of the council once it's over. There should be an ongoing statement, both in word and in deed. Ultimately, I think we should put forth a Christian-based candidate who is kingdom-minded and who reflects a comprehensive Christian worldview, not just the bits and pieces of today. Now, I feel a need to say this more than ever, given the current political climate in this country. I know many of you are going to quickly hop into my mentions and my inbox and maybe even send uh, comments uh, through the podcast, various applications, citing Romans 13. And don't worry, I'm going to get to you in just a moment. But I have never in my life, especially within the last five or six years, seen protests in the way that we have seen them within the last five to six years. And the irony of it all is that we don't disagree necessarily on the right to protest, but the the disagreement, even within the church, often turns to, depending on who is protesting, the tune tends to change a little bit, could depend on color, could depend on social or economic standing, could depend on political party affiliation. We have seen all sides protest at one point or another, but we speak out 
it seems, not for the causes that, that the Bible champions us to, but rather the times that we feel the government violates our individual political party. Christians using Romans 13 as a defense to support various political viewpoints at the expense of the truth of Scripture, our Christian mandate at loving others, are also ignoring the words of Peter when he tells the apostles we must obey God rather than men, found in Acts 5.29, and the teachings of Jesus himself when he proclaimed, no one can serve two, Matthew, two masters, Matthew 6.24. To take it a step further, I believe... In doing this, you not only violate not just one, but both the commandments that Jesus said sums up them all. And this is found, if you want to follow along with me, in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verses 36 through 40. This is Matthew, chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. And Jesus says, and and the disciples, and Jesus are gathered, and Jesus is asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The problem with our nation right now is we have shown from top to bottom, from the president to Congress to to the Senate to the states and to us regular Joes here who just do the voting, we have shown tendencies that are anti-God and anti-each other. And thus we have violated the commandments that encompass all the commandments, including the Ten Commandments, and the Law of the Prophets. And in exhibiting these qualities that are anti-God and anti-each other, I have to say that without a doubt, I can say this unequivocally, that we cannot forget, mistreat, or disrespect the children of God without incurring the wrath of God. And you see, the God I serve has raised kingdoms up and has chopped them to the ground. If America will continue in its lawlessness, then America faces a judgment that it cannot legislate or elect its way out of. You see, where the early Christians once subverted loyalty to Caesar by worshiping the Lord, modern American patriotism threatens to subvert Christian worship by infusing it with national pride. The revolutionary claim that Jesus is Lord has been domesticated into a benign spiritual slogan forced to sit subserviently beneath the claims of national greatness. Jesus is Lord until Jesus is Lord until the word of God disagrees with our preferred party or politicians. Jesus is Lord in this country until we disagree and treat others with great disdain, impurity, and degradation. We have to realize, even in the climate of bully pulpits, disdain, disrespect, and character assassination, that we can disagree honorably. I believe that many disagree dishonorably 
in our current state. You can engage in a loving way that demonstrates the heart of God, but that demonstrates the truth of God. Love must always be married to the truth, and truth must always be married to love. So I believe that our methodology is a big part of the problem of how we have ended up here today, even within the church. I have never avoided politically incorrect subjects, and I have always spoken clearly about biblical truth, whether it's popular or not, whether the setting is appropriate or not, both in season and out of season, as the Bible exhorts me to. However, I cannot in good conscience become more politician than preacher. I cannot become more lobbyist than believer. I can seek to I cannot find myself seeking to make Democrats or Republicans over making disciples. Unfortunately, as a nation, that is where we are. We have fallen into a full-blown idolatry, and this is a threat that the church must take seriously, because the enemy has found a weak spot, and he is putting a full-on assault on the people of God. The current political climate, the current idolatry taking place has violated two key elements within the church, our church mandate and, for many clergy, the pastoral mandate. If you would turn with me to Matthew, the 28th chapter, and many of you will be very familiar with this passage. It is Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20, Matthew, the 28th chapter, verses 16 through 20. And in this, I want to address the church mandate, Christ's final instruction to us as believers. This is Matthew 28, uh, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And I, and lo, I am with you always even until the end of the age. Amen. Brothers and sisters, within the body of Christ, this is known as the Great Commission. This is instruction by Jesus himself before his ascension. We have to understand that this is not called the Great Suggestion. It's not a, it would be nice if you would do this, or hey, it's optional, guys, but maybe you should try this. This is a command to call people to discipleship. The state of this country has taken the church from its mandate. The evangelism we now see is for political parties and candidates. We're calling people to our political causes and forsaking calling them to the Savior. We're winning votes while losing souls. We are so concerned about being on the right side of history that we are forsaking being on the right side of eternity. Show me where in any of the Gospels, and this is Matthew's account. There is other accounts as well with the same command. Show me where Jesus says, go ye therefore in all the world, making Democrats and Republicans, baptizing them in the name of Trump, Obama, Pelosi, McConnell, Schumer, or Graham. It ain't in there. And if it ain't in there, why are we as a corporate body of Christ focusing on evangelizing in this way?
brothers and sisters, CNN said, Fox News said, OAN said, CNBC said, my favorite politician said, even my pastor said, is not a valid substitute for what the Bible says. I have a friend that I won't be making many friends with this message, but I've said what I said, and the Spirit will not allow me to backtrack when it comes to this subject. Secondly, I want to focus on the pastoral mandate, and this mandate is as important a mandate as given in Scripture as you will find. The pulpit and the pews do not belong to us who preach and teach. The pulpit is not for personal or political gain, but for rather calling the lost of the world to Jesus Christ, to preach and to teach and to warn and give the people of this world a fighting chance by sharing the message of the gospel and the truth of God's word. If you want to follow along, please turn with me now to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 16. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. Paul, in his letters to the church of Ephesus, gives us a pastoral mandate for the early church and one that is still very applicable to us today. This is Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verses 11 through 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind and doctrine by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things to him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Brothers and sisters, the best way for a pastor or a leader within the church to spend their time and energy and influence is by preaching God's word. The proclamation of the gospel unleashes the power of God to produce the miracle of regeneration. The power of God, the power of Jesus' name, invites changes that are eternal and everlasting. This is the power, my friends, that can break the yokes of this generation and that can set our children free in ways that legislation and politicians can never dream of. This is not the time for weak pulpiteers or church leadership that sways as the political winds blow. There is a war for the soul of this nation and the souls of humanity, and it's time for us as leaders within the church to put on the whole armor of God. Because as we know, Paul says that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the principalities and the forces of darkness. The current climate in this country has encouraged a spirit of 
of co-belligerency in the body of Christ that is antithetical to the biblical definition of unity of the body of Christ. By its nature, co-belligerency involves compromises that dull the contrast and accentuate the common ground. The spirit of co-belligerency is opposite of what the Bible requires us individually as believers and collectively as a corporate body. Beloved, we have to remember that political changes at best are only superficial and temporary. The reforms of one generation or administration are quickly undone by the next and quickly forgotten. When a pastor or even a believer spends so very much of their time rallying people for political causes, that keeps our attention as a pastor or a believer and the attention of those we are trying to lead fixed on the shifting sands, the changing winds, and the ebb and flow of the latest political trend. That is a distraction from our call as Christians. The gospel of Jesus Christ, however, is the bedrock of immutable and unshakable truth, show, the showing way of eternal salvation. There is no name by which on heaven or earth men can be saved than Jesus Christ. That is what all people need to be fixated on, pastors and congregations alike. Our nation is in crisis, and far too many Christians are calling for a political revolution and not enough for repentance and true spiritual revival. We say all the nice things like, Lord, bring us revival, or God bless America, or in God we trust. We see these public prayers on TV, these nice little tidbits on Good Friday and mentions of Christ, of Easter and of Christmas and, and brief mentions of a Savior. But as a country, we remain rebellious and we refuse to repent. We would rather continue in our lawlessness and our idolatry. We as Christians, though, have a responsibility. While the return of Christ is outside of our control, no man knows the hour. But repentance and revival and the social and cultural benefits are very much in our hands. We are called to spread the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, both crucified and resurrected. If our nation, if our world has any hope, it is only found in Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, as it stands today, we are in a complex situation. Yes, there is a culture war, but the answer is not found in men, but in God. You see, the problem with our current politically idolatrous state is it taints the mission field. That very great commission that we are called to fulfill implores us to go into the world. The world is our mission field. And this current state of idolatry taints that mission field. Non-believers can easily confuse the message of the church. You see, many unbelievers are totally confused by the testimony of the visible church. And it's easy to excuse them because we, the church, have messed up. 
non-believers, it is easy for them to think that the cause of Christ is about passing legislation or championing social issues. We have allowed politics to distort the message of the church. We have sold out for political breadcrumbs and some name recognition. The message of the church is clear and simple, and no party can define it, nor does a single party have a monopoly on it. That message is that sinners can be reconciled to a holy God. And Paul expresses this idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, where the apostle says, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God has sent his beloved son to redeem a fallen, broken, and condemned world. To redeem fallen, broken, condemned, and dying people. To turn his enemies into his friends, like he did with Saul, changing him to Paul, to adopt and love the widows and the orphans, the refugee and the homeless veteran, and to receive them into his kingdom. The current political culture undermines and confuses the truthfulness and purity of that message, and instead it perverts it as a mechanism to not only win votes, but to alienate those outside of that partisan purview. Brothers and sisters, I am calling on each and every one of us today to not be the Pharisees who did not accept Jesus because they were looking for a superficial political leader who was also physically strong and they completely missed the boat. They were looking for the kingdom of this world, forgetting the prophecies that they knew oh so well. A kingdom without end and one in which the Lord will reign forever and ever. The challenge for us today as Christians in this country is to simultaneously honor the virtues of love of this country, civic engagement, sacrifice, service, and freedom without idolizing the sins of politics or nationalism, to celebrate bravery without romanticizing heinous violence, and to realize that our salvation comes from the Prince of Peace and not from the works of politicians or the wars of nations. Unfortunately, though, Christians have been historically gullible to nationalistic Christianity or politically motivated trail-mixed theology, and often treat our faith as a civic religion where we can establish a voting block and create enough influence to legislate laws, gain wealth, and consolidate power, rather than sacrificially serving and loving others. Simply choosing to gain votes while losing souls. It is to this that I call us individually and collectively back to the Lord. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And verse 17 continues that God desired that none should perish. We indeed are in perilous times, and there is a war that is at hand. And this war is not a matter of who will control land or governments, but the soul is for the very this war is for the very souls of humanity.
Will we concern ourselves as Christians with winning votes, or will we refocus our energy, our efforts, our loyalty, and determination to winning souls for Christ? Because friends, if you remember anything from this message today, only what's done for the cause of Christ will last. Until we meet again, God bless.